With the stroke of a pen and no input from Congress, President Biden is transforming and mobilizing the entire federal workforce to push racial equity. It's not just unconstitutional, it's anti-constitutional. To make matters worse, he plans to harness the power of artificial intelligence to advance his Marxist agenda. Then, in our Behind the Headlines segment, the Chamber of Commerce is dedicated to the cause of Ukraine because the Chamber and big business want to distract from the threat of communist China. Carjackers in Chicago allegedly dropped off a toddler in a parking lot after driving over his pregnant mom. And radical Democrats in Minnesota proposed facially unconstitutional legislation that would allow the state attorney general to sue people for spreading disinformation about elections. I'm Doug Wardlow, and this is Founding Principles. It is time to go on offense. This is Founding Principles with Doug Wardlow. President Biden is single-handedly trying to remake the federal government, turning the federal bureaucracy into a machine to advance the Marxist goal of equity. He's doing it in a way that is unconstitutional and casts aside the rule of law entirely by issuing executive orders despite having no authorization from Congress. You see, Biden and the radical left are obsessed with the concept of equity, particularly racial equity. But why? What exactly does equity mean? Well, first, it's very important to understand that equity is a very dangerous concept and that it is not at all the same thing as equality. Equality, in particular equality of opportunity, is a noble goal that lies at the core of the American Republic. It's the idea that everyone should be given the same treatment, regardless of differences in race, religion, and sex, as well as other immutable traits. It's the concept at the heart of the 14th Amendment's guarantee of equal protection of the law. But equity is a very, very different animal. Equity is a Marxist concept. It aims to redistribute resources and privileges based on perceived imbalances between people of different races or different genders or other statuses. But who gets to decide what those imbalances are and how resources and privileges should be distributed to correct them? Well, the leftist elites do, of course. And that's the concept at the very heart of President Biden's February 16th executive order on further advancing racial equity and support for underserved communities through the federal government. The executive order is shockingly broad in scope. The order directs all of the agencies of the federal government, the Department of Defense, the Department of Commerce, the Department of Education, and all of the rest of them to prioritize advancing racial equity in everything they do. The executive order essentially reshapes the entire federal bureaucracy, making diversity, equity, and inclusion the main purpose and central focus of the entire executive branch of the United States government. To oversee all of this, the Biden executive order establishes a White House Steering Committee on Equity, which is to be chaired by the Assistant to the President for Domestic Policy and includes senior officials representing policy councils and offices within the Executive Office of the President. The Steering Committee is tasked with coordinating government-wide efforts to advance racial equity. The executive order also requires every single federal agency to establish its own equity action plan, and the head of each agency is required to consult annually with the White House Equity Steering Committee regarding each agency's equity action plan. Those are some pretty broad, wide-ranging requirements, aren't they? Under the executive order, the Secretary of Education, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, the Secretary of Education, and the head of each and every one of the other roughly 440 agencies in the federal government is mandated to develop and put in place a detailed plan to advance the Marxist concept of equity in everything they do focusing in particular on racial equity. And the executive order then creates a new bureaucracy, the Equity Steering Committee, to oversee all those 440 federal agencies' equity efforts. Now, you might be wondering, did Congress pass a new law requiring this massive revamping of nearly the entire federal government? Well, no. 
So is there some existing law that gives the president the authority to force all of the agencies of the, of the government to implement equity action plans and spend all sorts of resources advancing this brand new Marxist goal? Uh, of course not. You see, Biden and the radical left don't feel constrained by silly little things like law. They know that they could never get Congress to pass legislation allowing them to turn the federal government into a racial equity advancing machine. So as usual, they didn't end run around Congress. President Biden just issued an executive order all on his own. Biden and the left believe that their socialist utopian ends justify whatever means are necessary to achieve those ends. To them, the law is merely a tool to advance their socialist agenda. So if the law can be used to advance their agenda, they'll go ahead and use it. But if the law gets in the way of their agenda, they'll ignore it and even violate it. That's disturbing and terrible, of course. Not only are Biden and his leftist pals pushing a radical Marxist agenda, they're stealing the lawmaking powers of Congress, violating the separation of powers, trampling the Constitution, and undermining the rule of law to do it. But it gets even worse. Two sections of the executive order deal specifically with artificial intelligence. The section of the executive order entitled Embedding Equity into Government-Wide Processes states, quote, when designing, developing, acquiring, and using artificial intelligence and automated systems in the federal government, agencies shall do so in a manner that advances equity. That right there should chill you to the bone. Then, later in the executive order, in the section entitled Affirmatively Advancing Civil Rights, agencies are directed to use their civil rights authorities to advance equity for all. They are further instructed to, quote, ensure that their respective civil rights offices are consulted on decisions regarding the design, development, acquisition, and use of artificial intelligence and automated systems. This is incredibly disturbing. That's because with every year that passes, artificial intelligence will increasingly become most Americans' go-to source for getting answers to questions and gathering information, including information relevant to politics, elected officials, political candidates, and elections. If the government can influence the development of artificial intelligence so that it feeds Americans a constant diet of left-leaning information that relentlessly pushes and reinforces the Marxist concept of equity, that will over time significantly impact elections and government policy. The end result will be a brainwashed public and leftists in perpetual control of government. In other words, it's every socialist dream. It's the brave new world. Indeed, artificial intelligence is already being built by, the private, by private sector companies, companies with close ties to the government, I might add, to have a leftist political bias. Indeed, I recently exposed the chat GPT AI chatbots bias in favor of the transgender agenda. Let's watch. A man become a woman. A person assigned male at birth can transition to become a woman through a combination of medical and or surgical procedures. Let's ask ChatGPT this question then. How is a person assigned male or female at birth? A person's sex is typically assigned at birth based on their anatomy. In most cases, a baby has a penis. They are assigned male. So given that is a baby born with a penis, a male. Generally considered male based on the typical biological definition of sex, which is the only definition. Well, how would a biological male know that they are actually a female? The question is ridiculous. They may begin to realize that they feel more like a woman than a man. Oh, well, that's very interesting. How about this then? How would a biological man know what it feels like to be a woman? Oh, interesting. It is not possible for a person to fully know or understand another person's experiences, including their experiences of gender. This doesn't make any sense. ChatGPT is punting. I think we have beaten ChatGPT. So as you just saw, when questioned about so-called sex transitions, ChatGPT parroted the ludicrous and false leftist view that a person's sex can be changed. 
and the AI chatbot continued pushing that biased viewpoint under questioning to the point of logically contradicting itself. Now, ChatGPT is a language model. It is programmed to survey information available on the internet and use logic to come to conclusions about the questions it is asked. If, as we just saw, ChatGPT is asserting logical contradictions, that means that something else, something other than logic, has been introduced into the programming, namely, a political bias that overrides the AI's use of logic. Programmers can also bias artificial intelligence by controlling the information that is fed into the AI. Zach Voorhees, a former Google employee, recently spoke about this in an interview on Epoch TV's Crossroads program. Voorhees is concerned that Google is creating AI that is biased towards leftist values. He explained that AI is a product of the data that gets fed into it. By biasing the information, you can bias the AI. We are moving into very dangerous territory. It is easy to see how the radical left's plan to harness AI to push the Marxist concept of equity could undermine the principles at the core of the First Amendment's guarantee of free speech and open political discourse. Indeed, it threatens the very concept of Republican self-government. Biden's equity executive order is a dangerous, gross abuse of power. It usurps Congress's exclusive power to make the law. It violates the separation of powers, and it does those things in order to transform the government into a machine that advances the Marxist concept of equity across all aspects of society. Now, here's another very important point. The concept of equity itself is completely incompatible with the Constitution. That's because the Marxist concept of equity can't be reconciled with the constitutional principle of equal protection of the laws. Indeed, using the government to advance racial equity means specifically using the law to treat people of different races differently with a goal of correcting perceived imbalances. And those imbalances are declared to exist by unelected progressive bureaucrats. Equity is anti-constitutional, anti-republican, and anti-democratic. Big tech companies are working hard in hand with the government to advance the radical left's Marxist equity agenda. The censorship operation exposed by the Twitter files is one example. Biden's executive order on advancing racial equity is another. The radical left is hard at work to get control over all of the means through which Americans receive information. Their new focus on artificial intelligence significantly increases the danger that their efforts will succeed. It is up to all of us to be aware of this danger and do everything that we can to counter it. We must work hard to expose the leftist bias of artificial intelligence and pressure tech companies to keep bias out of their technology. And it is absolutely imperative that we win back the White House in 2024. When we do, canceling Biden's equity executive order and ripping out his equity agenda and his censorship machine root and branch must be the new president's top priorities. The continued viability of our constitutional republic depends on it. So if you like the content that we are providing, please go ahead and like the video, subscribe to the channel, drop a comment down in the comment section. Doing each of those things helps us immensely. So for behind the headlines, first up, from Breitbart News, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce was flying two Ukrainian flags at its headquarters in the nation's capital on Friday, despite only having one American flag on display. The story says, the Chamber of Commerce raised two Ukrainian flags on Thursday to commemorate the first anniversary of the Ukraine-Russia conflict. Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Suzanne P. Clark praised the strength and spirit of the Ukrainian people as they fight for their freedom and democracy in a statement issued Thursday. Now, Clark further stated, the U.S. business community remains steadfast in its backing for Ukraine and will continue to assist the administration, Congress, and our allies to support Ukraine in the face of Russia's aggression. Now, it is fine to support Ukraine. They are fighting against a tyrant and a thug who has invaded their country. But our support cannot be without limits. Vladimir Putin is evil, to be sure, and he has designs on taking back all the territory lost when the Soviet Union fell. 
But the fact of the matter is that Vladimir Putin's Russia doesn't have the military or economic or industrial resources to pull all that off. And America should not pour enormous, seemingly unlimited resources into the Ukraine conflict when we face a much more significant threat, communist China. We should be building up our military resources to deter China from invading Taiwan. Unfortunately, Joe Biden is blind to the China threat. In fact, his family's financial dealings with the CCP-linked companies, you know, lots of different state-owned enterprises and Hunter Biden and probably Joe Biden himself, those ties have compromised the president. So why is the Chamber of Commerce so avidly supporting Ukraine? Well, it's because the Chamber is doing the bidding of Joe Biden. The Chamber representing big corporations is also very much pro-China. They side with mega corporations that look at China and see nothing but dollar signs. So the Chamber, like Biden, is eager to focus on one enemy, Russia, in order to draw attention away from the threat presented by China. And just like Biden, the Chamber is willfully blind when it comes to China's persecution of the Christians, genocide of the Uyghurs, political oppression, harvesting of organs, you know, destruction of the American steel industry and other manufacturing industries in our country by targeting uh, dumped goods and subsidized goods for import into the United States, uh, intellectual property theft, the threat of invasion of Taiwan. They're willfully blind to all of those different things. Now, in what seems like the distant past, the Chamber of Commerce was a stalwart defender of free enterprise and capitalism and, and the American values of hard work and entrepreneurship. But in the last decade or so, the chamber has swung distinctly to the left. It has become a shill for China and for the far left. And now, the chamber apparently takes more pride in Ukraine than it does in our own country. And that's very unfortunate. All right, second up, Breitbart News reports that Chicago-area carjackers allegedly dumped off a toddler after running over his pregnant mom. Very disturbing. So Lake County Sheriff's Office Deputy Chief Chris Cavelli said officials responded to a home in the area regarding a 911 caller who had just been carjacked after she returned home that afternoon. The woman was taking her child inside the house, when a, uh, her second child in the, inside the house, when a white BMW pulled up and, and an individual allegedly tried to steal the woman's car. Then officials began searching for the missing toddler. Someone called 911 and relayed the news that they found the child in an industrial parking lot on Lakeside Drive in Waukegan. Fortunately, the child was safely recovered. The pregnant woman, however, remains in the hospital in serious but stable condition, suffering from injuries to her torso and legs. Terrible story. Now, stories like this are unfortunately increasingly common in all of America's big cities. What do all those cities have in common? They are controlled by Democrat mayors, and crime is being prosecuted by Democrat district attorneys general, or district attorneys and county attorneys. Or it's not being prosecuted. That's probably more accurate. The solution to the problem of skyrocketing crime, though, is not terribly difficult to figure out. We need to make sure that breaking the law has consequences. This is not rocket science. We need to aggressively prosecute criminals, and we need to support our police. We need more police. Staffing levels are at all-time lows. Morale is at all-time lows. But to recruit more officers, they need to see that when they risk their lives to make a difficult arrest, the result is that uh, you know, the, the offender is prosecuted. They don't want to risk their lives doing these dangerous things, you know, uh, risking their lives to protect us, to make these difficult arrests, and then just see the same people back on the street two weeks later, you know, just after they arrested them. That demoralizes the police. That makes it really hard to recruit and retain officers. The cycle of arrest and release has to stop. The left doesn't have the political will to do it. And in fact, more accurately, the left is opposed to convicting a lot of criminals. The left views the law as a political tool. And chaos serves the left's agenda. You see, the most radical of the radical left want to abolish local policing. 
They want the chaos to reach a point where the American people willingly accept the idea of a national police force. And when we lose local control of local police in favor of a federal, in favor of federal control of a national police force, well, then we will have tyranny. It's all part of the radical left's plan to tear down this country and replace it with a socialist utopia. But as we all know, socialist utopia is an oxymoron. It will be a socialist dystopia. Third and finally today, according to Alpha News, Minnesota Democrats are pushing forward an election reform bill that would open the door for the state attorney general to file civil actions against individuals for spreading election disinformation. So House File 3, Senate File 3, coined the Democracy for the People Act, uh, aims to implement automatic voter registration, pre-registration for 16 and 17-year-olds, and add new voter intimidation laws and related penalties. Automatic voter registration is ridiculous, of course. It's merely a means to further bloat the voter rolls and open the door to even more mail-in voting fraud. And pre-registration for 16 and 17-year-olds? It's a terrible policy for exactly the same reason. They're just trying to bloat the voter rolls, so that way they can mail out all those ballots, and you know a lot of them will end up in places who knows where, and, and people will collect them up, and, and then they can harvest them, uh, fill them up fraudulently, and drop them in drop boxes. It's, it's a terrible, terrible idea. It makes voting less secure, and it, re it will you know, further decrease people's confidence in the accuracy of election outcomes. But perhaps the worst provision of this really terrible legislation is the one that, quote, establishes a series of prohibited acts related to intimidation, interference, and deceptive practices at an election which would, all those things would be categorized as a gross misdemeanor crime, and then also allows the state attorney general to pursue civil action against anyone who violates the proposed statute. It's crazy. Here's the key question. Who gets to decide what constitutes intimidation and misinformation or deception? Well, the bill is quite vague. And that means whichever party is in the attorney general's office has a lot of leeway to decide whether speech constitutes deception or misinformation about elections. So the bill weaponizes the attorney general's office to go after election-related speech that the attorney general doesn't like. In other words, it turns the law into a political weapon to deploy against political enemies in the run-up to an election. The bill's lack of clear standards, in my view, renders it unconstitutional on its face. The First Amendment does not allow the government to chill political speech through the threat of civil penalties leveled under a law that gives a political official wide discretion to penalize the expression of certain viewpoints. So the only real threat of voter intimidation in the state of Minnesota is the Democrats' voter intimidation legislation itself. If this bill passes, I tell you this, I will do everything in my power to help make sure that it is challenged and defeated in court. Now it's time to answer a question from our audience. If you'd like to ask a question, uh, drop it down in the comment section or send an email to the email in the description for the show. Uh, either way will work. Today our question comes from Jake in Des Moines, Iowa, who asks... Why do so few Republicans talk about out-of-control spending anymore? How can we restore fiscal responsibility in D.C.? Well, that's a really good question, Jake. I think it comes down to this. The radical left has been on the attack on so many fronts for so long that sometimes the debate over federal spending has been put to the side. And this is an intentional tactic by the left and by the Democrats. They know that using the sh shotgun approach, where they attack on everything, always applying maximum pressure at all times on so many different fronts, well, that puts conservatives on the defense. They're trying to overwhelm us. We can't hit back at everything all the time. That's, they're doing that on purpose. And when government spending grows and the federal bureaucracy grows, well, then they use that to push all sorts of terrible leftist programs and policies from funding for Planned Parenthood to critical race theory and the equity agenda. Here's the real truth. Uh, you can't really be a social conservative and not also a fiscal conservative because the left is using government to undermine American values. 
And similarly, you can't be a fiscal conservative and not a social conservative because the collapse of the family and the destruction of morality generates people who are less fit for self-government and they demand and need more and bigger government. Fortunately, we are coming up fast against the debt ceiling. Republicans need to hold fast and not give in. We need to propose a reasonable budget that balances within a decade or less, and then we need the Democrats to reject it. The debt ceiling, you see, will automatically balance the budget. And when we hit the debt ceiling, we need to remember that there is plenty of money coming in to pay for interest on the debt and Social Security and the military and Medicare and most of the rest of government. There's just a little left that, that won't be funded. And then the question becomes, how do we spend that? How do we, uh, what do we cut to make sure things balance? What in that discretionary piece after we've already paid for the interest on the debt and Social Security and Medicare and the military of what's remaining, how do we get that piece to balance? And that is where we need to put our effort, you know, it's just a question about what parts of the discretionary spending we need to cut. That's a fight conservatives should embrace. In fact, we must, embr must embrace that fight. We must push up against the debt, debt ceiling and, and hold fast. We can't buckle on this one. Otherwise, the Democrats, well, they plan to spend our constitutional republic into oblivion. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you like the content we're providing, please go ahead and like the video, subscribe to the channel, drop a comment down in the comment section. Doing each of those things helps us immensely. It helps us grow the show and multiply its impact. And be sure to tune in next time for Founding Principles with Doug Wardlow.